Amen. Thank you, piano ladies and Kelly and Jonathan for the great music this morning. We want to turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to a passage that I almost chickened out on. I've preached through 1 Corinthians in Millen, Georgia and St. Louis and here before, uh, but there's things in 1 Corinthians that are just tough for, for understanding but for sharing and preaching to other people. Some, some of it you read and you say, Paul, can I talk about this in church? You know, uh, is this kind of over the line uh, for material for church? Uh, chapter 5 that we are skipping over for today at least, uh, it's just kind of bizarre what was going on at Corinth. Corinth was an interesting place. You know, uh, our trip to England, we were coming down about the middle of the trip and about the middle of the country, we came down to an area that's got a, about a 30-mile radius. And out of that little area, not much bigger than Lawrence County, the world was changed. Uh, Thomas Cranmer, who organized the Anglican Church and gave it an evangelical theology, at least for a while, uh, came from that area. Uh, the Quakers came out of that area. The Methodists had roots in that area. And most important of all, that's where the Baptist world started, in that little 30-mile circle. And out of that area came the Pilgrims and the Puritan movement and that which has been so much part of the American culture for 400 years. And uh, looking at the Corinthians again this week, I thought back on that and what those people brought to our land. I want to talk about that in the evening service tonight when we're in 1 John and, and show you the, the biblical roots of the Puritan movement, what was in their minds, what they were thinking. We talk about the faith of the founding fathers. I'm not talking about Jefferson and Washington and Madison and those guys, but go way, way back before them. Go back 400 years ago when the boats were first coming from England into the American colonies and, and getting off with their... Geneva Bibles and beginning to have church and try to establish a new culture. They had a mindset, and that has trickled down for 400 years to us uh, in different forms, and it permeates our law and our, our values and who we are as a people. We're losing a lot of that at the, at the present time. But because of that background that's a part of what a lot of us were raised with, whether we were in an evangelical church or not, it's been a part of our heritage. Because of that, we have sometimes have a hard time relating to 1 Corinthians. The Corinthians were doing church in an extremely pagan culture. Now, the heads-up warning to us is that someday, First Baptist Dublin may be doing church in an extremely pagan culture. That's hard to imagine. I know. So, no, not here. This, you know, this is Lawrence County. The world may go crazy, but this is Lawrence County. Uh, you may see your own America continue to drift to the left and out into some uh, bizarre value system so that you'll be dealing with the same issues the Corinthians were. And in some places, you are. We moved from Millen, Georgia, after eight great years in Millen. We moved to St. Louis. And Millen is sort of the, the centerpiece of the buckle of the Bible belt. Uh, and a lot of great folks there. A lot of, you know, they're not perfect people. But we moved from that to St. Louis and found that there was not one Missouri, but two. 
and they were intertwined. Uh, you can see it if, you, if you're a political junkie like me and you watch all the, the elections. and you, know, you see that that state will divide and it's just kind of on the bubble and it can go one way or another and it may tip the country one way or another. But there are two cultures there. And the evangelicals and the Catholics are on one side of the fence and everybody else is on the other and, and they have two different ways of seeing the world. The Corinthians are being called by the Apostle Paul to biblical theology, to Christian righteous living. But they're surrounded by a Corinthian culture that could not be more different from what he's calling them to. And so a lot of these passages like this one come out of that. And so you may find it increasingly helpful. You may find it helpful today as you address what's going on in your life or your children's life, your grandchildren's lives, or some situation where you work, where people increasingly think in a non-Christian way. This passage this morning has to do with resolving conflict and how the Corinthians were trying to do that. And it's kind of hard to get a handle on that. It's hard, again, for us to relate with our law system and the heritage of our law. It's kind of hard to relate to. But let's take a stab at it anyhow. Let's take a look at it. And I think we can find some application from the passage for our times. Paul writes to the Corinthians, he said, and he, he's, his approach in this chapter, I like, he just asks a lot of questions. And sometimes the best way to make a point or convince someone is just ask questions. And either they're going to walk away from your questions or turn you off, or they're going to have to wrestle with the issues that you're raising by way of questions. So Paul just throws a, a series of questions at the Corinthians. Answer this, answer this, answer this. And if you really wrestle with it, you're going to have to come up with some big decisions that you're going to make. He says, does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor... Dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? You, you may, you know, in a culture like ours, the unrighteous might be the Methodists or the Presbyterians or something. You know, we, uh, the dividing line in Corinth was the unrighteous. <laughs> they were into bizarre, if they were religious at all, it was a bizarre. The, the city of Corinth, ancient Corinth, is built today. Uh, it's a small city today. It was an influential place in its biblical times. There's a canal there where major ships can pass through. Big tankers and container ships can go through that canal, cut through the rock. It's an amazing engineering feat there. In biblical times, they just drug smaller ships on carts pulled by horses across that ridge and dumped them back out on the other side to avoid going down around southern Greece and the turbulent waters and the bad seasons there. So the sailors would come into Corinth and, and they were involved in everything. But the religious world of Corinth, uh, you've seen the Parthenon in Athens about 40 miles up the road. You've seen the Parthenon. It sits up on the Acropolis. Corinth had its own Acropolis with a temple up on it. And in the name of religion, every immorality imaginable took place there and they called it religion. That's Corinth. The lid was off. You could, you could define truth any way you wanted to. You could define morality basically any way you wanted to and even call it your religious faith. So Paul is writing back to the Corinthians in this church that he started and he's tried to ground in biblical truth. And he says, when you've got a dispute among you, do you really want to take that down to the court in that culture? Is that really what you want to do, Corinthians? 
Now, remember I mentioned last week or the week before uh, the, the Bema seat of Corinth, the imagery of chapter 3, where Paul said we would all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema or Bematas of Corinth was in the marketplace on a high platform outdoors where everybody could watch court. It was probably the town entertainment. Instead of Judge Judy, you went down to the Bema seat and watched the arguments before the judge. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, come on, believers in Christ. Is that really where you want the great issues of your life settled? You want to take it there? He's really saying, let me tell you, folks, that judge may or may not be true Corinthian. He probably doesn't have a clue what you're talking about and praying about at your church. He probably doesn't get it. It shows up in the book of Acts, shows up in the life of Paul when he's traveling and he's on trial. Paul uses Roman law to his advantage uh, and uh, does so cleverly. There's one ruling where uh, one of those individuals Paul's on trial before says, hey, this is a, this is a secular matter. Don't bring this here. Uh, and that was a good judge. But Paul says, you just don't want to take the key fundamental value choices of your life and put it before the world and say, world, you define for us what we should do about these matters. In verse 2, he continues, or do you not know, another question, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Now, don't get too proud of yourself there. It's not because you're so wonderful or you're so empowered at this present time. He's speaking collectively to the church. And he's saying, church, I don't want you to just look at current events. I want you to see the big picture. I want you to look a hundred years, a thousand years down the road, 10,000 years down the road, and I want you to see the enduring quality of the church. The church is here to stay forever, and the culture around you is going to perish forever. Understand the difference. He says, don't you know that the saints, now the saints are not uh, people voted on in the Vatican to have a title or super pious people in the Baptist church. A saint is somebody who's set aside. And it's just a general title for believers, for real Christians. So everybody that's a Christian here this morning, you're a saint. So welcome saints. He says, don't you know that the saints, that the Lord's people are going to judge the world? It's Paul's way of saying if you will stay on the side of Christ and the side of the scriptures and the side of righteousness, you will be on the winning team. We're watching these ball games, nervous games, and maybe most of the good guys won this week. I don't know, depending on how you see some things. But he says, there's no doubt about where all of this ultimately is going, and the church will prevail over the surrounding culture. It will win in Christ. Just like those storms coming in out of the Mediterranean, the awesome power of God will say, this is the way it is. Not as you have defined it, this is the truth. This is the way. Says, Do you not know that the saints are going to judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? That's Paul's way of saying, can't you handle some of these things without pulling the world into your decisions? Can't you just kind of settle it here? 
Can't, you know, if you need a third party, can't you just get an arbitrator from the church to give you biblical counsel and wisdom before you go racing off to the courses? Now, again, it's hard for us, and especially in the southern part of the United States, to relate to some of this, but because uh, we can go down to the courthouse and find Christian judges that belong to First Baptist or First Methodist and, uh, and, and a, the historic American law. And it's, so it's hard to get a handle on for us. Uh, it was not so for the Corinthians. They were where we may be somewhere down the road. We get these bizarre rulings out of that Ninth Circuit out in California, uh, the federal court, and they make rulings that somehow, I don't know how this works, but they can make a ruling out there uh, that impacts the whole country until the Supreme Court overrules it. And most of the time they do, but it's, it's, it's crazy what can happen in courts where there is no biblical foundation. He says, is the world uh, what you want to take that to? Isn't there something better among the Lord's people? Can't you get together your own way of resolving your conflicts and look to uh, a better solution? Do you not know, another question, do you not know that we will judge angels? And the batting order or the the food chain of God's creation. God, of course, reigns on high, and there's the human race, and we talk about angels, and you might think of angels, well, they're more closely associated with heaven, and, and therefore they must outrank us. Uh, they bring these powerful messages in the Scripture uh, to human beings, and, uh, and Paul says, no, in the, in the rankings of God's created order, the human race, the redeemed portion of the human race in Christ is in second place, only second to God. He says, you're going to judge angels. And you won't judge angels without having the truth of God. So what's wrong with you folks? If you're, if you're going to be called upon uh, to rule and reign with Christ in glorious ways, how come you can't deal with life right now? He uses the word from which we uh, get biology, biotica is the, the form of the word that's there. He's, it means, in this context, everyday matters of life. How much more in matters of life, the practical things of life? Uh, if you are an evangelical Christian, and you, you, it, whether you read the Bible or not, you at least acknowledge that's where the answers are, and you want to be under that direction in your life. If that's true for you, um, don't you want that to impact the particulars of your life, the details of your decisions that you make and what guides you and what's important to you? Corinthians, come on, step it up. Remember who you are. So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church now, you can begin to see this increasingly in my lifetime. Uh, you can see a drift in how we do law as a nation and how we do a lot of things. Some things are better than the good old days, but some things are adrift. And Paul's saying, do you really want a pagan judge who doesn't have a clue what you talk about at church on Sunday? Do you really want to put them in charge of things when they're not even respected in the church. Why would you want to take your family matters or your church matters or your personal life 
and put it in front of that guy to tell you how to live. Just common sense, really, Paul is calling them to. And remember, the Corinthian culture is so different from the church at Corinth or what the church is being called to be. He says, I say this to your shame. Is it so that there's not one, uh, not among you, one wise man who's able to decide between his brethren? Paul's really saying, you know, it ought to be in the church that there are people uh, that have lived the faith and are so grounded in the scriptures that when Christians have big life issues to deal with, uh, they don't go to the courthouse, they go to the church and ask for counsel and for prayer. And somehow, uh, in a Christian church context, they hammer out differences and settle issues and find direction for life. And Paul's saying, isn't that better than going down there to the market before the bimitas and putting out all this stuff before the watching world, projecting to the world a terrible Christian witness and getting bad counsel and bad decisions back in the process of your life? So he's just challenging them to, to think about how they solve problems. But brother goes to law with brother, and that, that before unbelievers, uh, solving problems before unbelieving courts. Actually, then, it is already to defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. So Paul's sort of, we, he's sort of rambling as Paul does and, and Baptist preachers do. But he's saying, when you have a conflict, how do you solve the conflict? But then he's really saying, but why do you even have conflicts anyhow? Why do these things show up? What's, what's wrong? Are you so focused on what you want, what you want to get out of life, and defining for yourself true and total happiness, and then guarding that with your life? Then he asks this great question. And it's, to some Americans, this would be an offensive question or just a, a confusing question. Why would you think like that? But Paul asked the question, why not rather be wronged? Why not prefer to be wrong? Isn't that radical thinking? I mean, that's really pretty radical thinking. When there's an issue between you and someone else or your group and somebody else, um, why not just say, okay, you win. You win. Now, I know society has responsibilities to protect the victim and the righteous and all. We're not talking about those subjects here. We're just talking about personal issues. And Paul invites the Corinthian believers to at least consider the possibility of saying, okay, you win. If you want all the stuff, you can have it. If you want this, if you want that, you can have it. I've got Christ. You can have everything else. I've got Jesus. Why not rather, he says, why not rather be defrauded? Paul is really saying to the Corinthians, as he would, I think, to 21st century Georgians, isn't it better to be cheated in Christ than defended by a world that's going down the tubes? Wouldn't it be better to be lined up with Jesus even if you lose some stuff along the way? Some stuff you're going to lose anyhow. So Paul says, don't take all your issues down there to the judgment seat. It'll be a circus. Your faith will be mocked. You won't find biblical counsel. You won't get wise decisions. You won't be better off tomorrow than you are today. Take it to the church, or you could say, take it to the scriptures. Where do you in the 21st century, where do you look for truth? Where do you look for help? Well, we know the answer. 
An early morning service group at First Baptist Church knows the answer, don't we? We just need to be, we find our answers in God's word. Jesus prayed for the church, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. My school up in South Carolina, the library has a stone cutting. I've I've told you about it before, but uh, over the entrance going into the library is an open Bible cut in stone, and it has John 17 in there, Jesus praying, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. And so our challenge as we read through these uh, tough chapters of 1 Corinthians, say, Lord, I want to be like Christ. I don't want to be Corinthian. I don't want to be world. I want to be like Christ. And if that means I lose some battles along the way, I want to stay close to Jesus. Jesus, on crucifixion day, uh, could have bowed out and avoided the cross. He could have said, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys are right. I, I quit. I'm, not, I'm, I'm sorry I said anything. But he says, why not rather be defrauded? Why not be misunderstood? Why not just let them win for the day that righteousness, righteousness ultimately may prevail? The last verse is another it's a confusing verse in a sense. It's on the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You could be yielding and, and taking the higher ground of humility. Instead, you're out there cheating folks. The Corinthian church must have been something else. He says, you do this even to your brethren. The NIV says to the brothers and sisters or to the, the believers at the church. It says, Corinthians, you... Uh, you have phenomenal potential, but your potential lies in not winning worldly battles, but prevailing from the high ground, the high spiritual ground of biblical truth and the lordship of Jesus Christ. So if there's an application for us this morning from this, I think it's just that, um, well, we could get into the court issue and all. We're not going to go there this morning with the passage, but the application, I think, for us this morning is where do we look for truth? How committed are we to that truth? And are we willing to be God's unique people and a world that's going in the other direction? Those pilgrims on the Mayflower, the Puritans uh, that came to the early colonies, they, they acknowledge we're different. We are deliberately different. And if all the rest of the world goes crazy, we are deliberately different because we know who ends and the end wins and prevails. Christ is Lord, and we want to be on his side, and we want to honor him and glorify him with our life choices. So we'll pray about our differences, and we'll talk through our uh, disagreements, but we will, above all, seek to glorify Christ and live out a Christian witness before the watching world. What Corinth needed is no different from what America needs today, a powerful, consistent Christian witness of the truth. And they got it in some measure through the Corinthian believers and the preaching of Paul and the preaching of Apollos and others that followed them there. You have the exciting potential of being the Christian witness that your culture needs in your own time. We just have to commit to that or recommit to that and live 
like we take that seriously. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. Father, we're grateful this morning that you love us. You powerfully love us. Your love is greater than a Category 5 storm. Your power and your authority and your lordship is stronger than a Category 6 storm, if that's even possible. Father, you are the sovereign Lord of all things. Help us to yield our lives and our marriages and our families and our careers and our church. Help us to yield all of those to biblical truth and to your lordship that you might work in us and shine through us to change and shape and mold modern America. We know we desperately need that and that without you, we are nothing. And with you, we can prevail and have spiritual victory. So we look to you in faith. We do so with thanksgiving and praise. We do so in the name of Jesus. Amen.